to Rising Above with Becky Davidson. If I could leave them with anything of encouragement is that God gave them their child and he is going to equip them to parent their child. Welcome to Rising Above with Becky Davidson, where we hear from special needs families who rise above difficult circumstances and discover that joy can be found in every story. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Becky Davidson. Hey friends, we are back this week with part two of our conversation on counseling. And we are going to dig a little deeper this week and take a closer look at how trauma can impact our daily life. Kim Thorpe is back with me, and we are joined by our counselor, Jerry Cross. Jerry has been working in social services and counseling, providing services in the Upper Cumberland area of Tennessee for over 20 years. She is a nationally board certified counselor and a member of the Tennessee Licensed Professional Counselors Association, American Association of Christian Counselors, and she's also a certified prevention specialist. Jerry is such a wealth of knowledge and information, and she has been such a blessing and help to both Kim and myself as we we have unpacked some of the challenges that we have faced in our lives over the years. So here is part two of our conversation, and we're joined by licensed professional counselor, Jerry Cross. Hey, Jerry, thank you so much for being here. Um, Kim and I, Kim's here with me too. Hello. Part two of our series, we're in our summer series, and the question we're looking at is about counseling and trauma and when we, you know, when we know that we need to get some for some of the things that we deal with. And so, as we shared in last week's episode, if you missed last week's episode, I would honestly just stop this one, go yeah. back and listen to part one, and then come back to this because a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. Yeah. We may be referencing something from the last yeah. podcast. So, definitely yeah. check out the last one if you yeah. haven't already. So, I've got with me Kim Thorpe from our team here at Rising Above Hello. and our most favorite counselor therapist in the world, Jerry Cross. So, Jerry, thank you <laughs> for being here. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. So Kim and I talked in the last episode about how we met you and how you became part of our story. We knew you before uh, you became our counselor, therapist, all those things. Um, But you yourself have dealt in the disability space personally. I have. And so share a little bit about that part of your journey that you you don't come to this as a stranger to IEPs and all those, you know, the special needs life. So share a little bit about your background there. Correct. my husband and I have a son. Actually, he will be 26 this week. Wow. Can't yeah. believe he's that old. Um, but as a small child, he was diagnosed with an eye condition and had lost his vision several times at the age of four. So from the age of four to about 16, 17, he had 16 to 17 eye surgeries, fairly major mm-hmm. eye surgeries. He's had uh, lens implants and shunt implants in both wow. eyes. Um, and so many, many doctor's appointments, um, going back and forth, the doctors that we had were not local. Mm. Uh, we had to have specialists mm-hmm. out of Knoxville. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. God was very gracious to us to place us with um, godly doctors mm-hmm. uh, and godly wisdom yeah. and where to go with that. And so just the continual roller coaster of, okay, well, we're good for a while. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, this is flaring. So here we go again. Yeah. And just being put in that position and just... I think uh, one of the things that I dealt with personally the most was my anger. Mm. Hmm. Um, Just the anger Mm -hmm. of uh, my son came home to us through adoption. So we had that whole adoption journey Mm -hmm. to get to have a child. And then we have a child that has some special needs. And it's like, really? 
So all of the things that we got to, to get there mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. God really worked on my heart to mm-hmm. show us, my husband and I, that he really brought Cody to us to pres- help preserve his yeah. vision and be able to walk that journey because mm-hmm. he may not have been able to do that in yeah. other circumstances. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that part of your journey impacts now your counseling Absolutely. and what you do because you've got experience um, knowing what that feeling is like of the roller coaster and the the you know ins and outs and, and that anger and all the things that go along with that. And so I think that for me has been helpful coming to you as a client. I don't know, what are we called? A client? What do, what do you call client? Client. client. Um, you know, because I know, I mean, I knew you personally anyway, sure. but I know that you get it and you understand um, this part of our journey. So I think that's pretty, sure. pretty amazing. Yeah. So Jerry, first of all, when we look at your name, there are lots of letters behind your name. <laughs> uh, and, and Becky even kind of earlier said, called you a counselor, called you a therapist. So First of all, explain your letters behind your name. And then also, what do, what do are you a therapist? Are you a counselor? What's the difference in those? Those those names are pretty interchangeable within mm-hmm. the clinical field. Okay. Um, counselor, therapist. Um, so you somebody, can be either one. Just, just somebody that comes to healing. Okay. I am okay. a licensed professional counselor in the state of Tennessee uh-huh. with a mental health a specialist provider, which means I am able to diagnose. Okay. Um, as well, I have... Um, I am a nationally certified counselor. Um, I am EMDR certified mm-hmm. through MDRIA, um, okay. which EMDR is a trauma-focused yes. um, modality for trauma. Okay. Um, and then I am also, I have a CPS2 certification, which that's a certified prevention specialist in alcohol and drug. Oh, okay. well, I had no I idea you had that. that either. Yeah. That's great. Wow. Well, thanks for letting us know that. Well, you know, I got an email from you yesterday, Jerry, and I'm like seeing all those letters and I'm like, oh my, you know, that's a, that's a lot of training and a lot of work, but that's what makes you who you are. So you can Correct. then have that training and knowledge to, to help us. Well, and, w- and one of the other modalities or um, areas in regard to counseling, you can be specialized in a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the training, you have to maintain and upkeep the requirements of yeah. those. So like the uh, the EMDR training, mm-hmm. uh, my practice mate and I and another counselor in town are going to Virginia in end of August to the Emdria conference. Uh, we're required every two years to get 20 hours of continuing ed specifically to EMDR. Mm-hmm. Uh, my CPS too, I'm specifically required to get 10 hours every year or every two years Mm -hmm. in prevention, alcohol, drug specialty. Mm -hmm. And and so each one that you get, and so as you look for a counselor or as your special needs um, parents, mothers Mm -hmm. look for counselors, they want to look for those people that are trained in in what they're looking for. Mm, Right, right. And there's another subspecialty out there now. um, It's perinatal um, Mm. that Mm. works with that population of uh, pregnant mothers or Prenatal and postpartum okay. to work with that population. Yeah. And so depending on what, what your you what your needs yeah. are, you want to really delve mm-hmm. into what their training is. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I talked with um, some of the moms that are in my circle of friends, the other special needs moms, and I was like, what are some of the questions you have when you're, you know, if you had the opportunity to sit across from a counselor, sure. when you look at your life and the things that you deal deal with, what would be some of the things that you would want to know? And so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today mm-hmm. as we have this conversation. And, you know, I, I, we hear about trauma 
And, you know, a lot of our families deal with trauma on, uh, you know, on so many levels because of behaviors or being in and out of the hospital. And, but I've heard that there's a difference between like a little T trauma, like trauma with a little T and then a capital T trauma. Correct. So explain what that is. Big T traumas, when you look at trauma, most people recognize that as trauma. Um, in our area, the tornado victims, we know mm-hmm. that that's a big T trauma. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. a huge trauma, not only to those families, but to our community. Um, rape victims, mm. sexual assault. When you talk to people about trauma, those are the things that come to mind. Little T traumas are smaller things that pile. Mm. They're kind of complexities. Okay. Um, and so what what you look at, small T traumas, maybe multiple hospital stays. Mm. Um, maybe... You have had, you you did have a big T trauma. You were a survivor of child abuse and you dealt with that. But now you have a, a special needs yeah. child that is creating some of those triggers to something that you've already dealt with mm-hmm. in the past. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at small T traumas, you look at volume instead of single okay. case event. Okay. Now, you, can you have both? Absolutely. Yeah. You can have a big T trauma and a multi, multitude of little T mm-hmm. traumas. And when you have combinations like that, that's what you look for as far as PTSD or complex PTSD. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Complex is multi-layered. multi-layered. And okay. so does everybody that go into the military come home with PTSD? No, they mm-hmm. don't. But you do look at that population for occurrence is much higher than the general right. population because of what they experience. Mm-hmm. They experience it multitude after multitude mm-hmm. on top of itself. Yeah. Okay. And they experience it more frequently than the general population yeah. would. Right. So that complex PTSD, that a lot of our families correct are going to have that because you're you could have had trauma from your childhood and then you've got all these multi-layer traumas that are still going on. I mean, and so that's when that when you're talking about multi-layered things going on, that's where that complex PTSD, Correct. and that's what you actually diagnosed me with was complex PTSD because I had so many layer upon layer of things that you needed to be looked at and addressed. And, and the difference between PTSD, single, big T, single case event, so like the tornado victims, there were several tornado victims that I was able to see and to help process through mm-hmm. what had happened with the tornado. And I won't say it's a one and done, but they process through it and then they kind of move back into their life. Is it difficult for them at that point? It kind of resolves itself. Where complex PTSD, that's where you have to kind of make the commitment to be in it for the long Mm -hmm. haul because you work through layers. Right. It's not a one and done. Mm -hmm. You you can't just address the tornado and go on. You have to address the childhood stuff or you have to address Mm -hmm. this stuff or you address Mm -hmm. the sounds or you address the smells or you address the visual. Mm -hmm. And so it's multi-layered in that respect. Mm -hmm. So um, Jerry, what are some of the signs or symptoms of what you would maybe PTSD or trauma that would maybe tell a parent that they need to seek counseling or... Uh, PTSD in clinical terms, the the criteria to look at that is it's a it's a longstanding, meaning that it's not short term. Um, like the tornado victims, everybody would say that they all had PTSD after that. That's not accurate. Not mm-hmm, everybody, okay. because everybody 
responds to things differently based on their personality, based on their resiliency, mm-hmm. based on their support system. So everybody responds differently. Mm-hmm. You expected an acute response to the tornado three months after. Okay. At three months on to six months, if you still have continuing symptomology, mm-hmm. yeah, that's where you're moving into more of a clinical, it's uh-huh. affecting my daily life. It is impairing what I can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of the symptoms that you look for are dreams or nightmares, huh. um, startle effect, and that yeah. is where you react to things. It's almost like walking on eggshells. You're waiting for the next thing to happen, <laughs> yeah. and you startle really easily. Yeah. yeah. Hypervigilance. You're always thinking about it. You're always on. Mm-hmm. Um, avoidance actually is one of the symptoms. Um, I can't talk about it. I don't want to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, or even the other end of that spectrum, ruminating on it. I can't talk mm. about anything else but mm. this. Huh. And so it's kind of a, a range in there. there uh-huh. There's, I'm either on all the time or mm-hmm. I can't deal with it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, restlessness, uh, sleep disturbance, either hypersomnia, I'm sleeping all the time to mm-hmm. avoid, or I can't sleep at all, I have mm-hmm. insomnia. What about anxiety? Could anxiety be a, a point? To- anxiety and depression can be a point of it. Yeah. Um, Oftentimes that can be separate as well. It could be situational or if somebody has a tendency toward anxiety or depression outside of the event or the trauma, yeah. it can amp up those that symptomology as well. Huh. Okay. Yeah, that's Neat. it's interesting. And you know, you were talking about those symptoms and those things that that people can exhibit when when they're having the the a PTSD related to trauma and it made me think of a story of a friend mm-hmm. who um, she would be, you know, as an adult driving down the road, somebody else would be driving and another car would come close and they would startle and they would, you know, jerk thinking that they were going to be hit or they were going to run off the road when everything was really perfectly fine. Correct. And it turns out that she grew up with an alcoholic father. You know, as a child, she'd be in the car with her father who was, you know, driving drunk. And so even though that was not the case, then it still was carrying that, you know, those feelings of fight and flight were carrying on even into adulthood decades later. Um, So talk about that a little bit. I know know when I started to come to see you, you talked about the book, The Body Keeps the Score. Right. And so talk a little bit about that, about how our bodies actually react even to something that maybe happened in childhood, it could have been decades earlier. Well, our our brain, it, as complex as it is, um, we have our frontal lobe, which is our reasoning center. I know I'm here. I know I'm safe. Nothing's going on around me. So we're going to use a veteran as a, a, a symbol of that right now. So a veteran knows he's home from the war. He's here. He's safe. Your amygdala and hippocampus, which is your center brain, stores your memory center, stores your feelings, stores that area of your brain, it's fight, flight, or freeze. Mm. And so a veteran's home, he knows he's safe, he's in his frontal lobe, he's functioning, he's going about his day, and a car backfires. Immediately, Mm. his body goes to that fight, flight, or freeze. He's on. Mm -hmm. And that can trigger a PTSD response. Does it with every veteran that comes home? Absolutely not. Some deal with it and they go on well with it, and others do not. Mm -hmm. Um, But when it hits that fight, flight, or freeze... It can trigger other memories. It can trigger a disassociative response. Mm-hmm. It can put you back in what happened during that time. So that veteran may go back to whatever happened. It could be a trauma. It could be an explosion. Um, for a child, for an adult that experienced childhood abuse, oftentimes you will see as they have children, 
those mile markers when their children hit mm. the age that they were that they were abused, you'll see them begin to have triggers or begin to have issues with their children. And so they'll become hypervigilant wow. with their children. Yeah. And they won't want anybody else to be around mm-hmm. them. They've got to be the person that's with them all the time. They don't want anybody else doing things, which we know is not a normal response. Mm-hmm. They don't recognize they're doing that. Yeah. And so, but they've been triggered back to that time when they didn't feel safe. Mm-hmm. And so now they're applying that or projecting yeah. it onto their child now and their child's not safe. Wow. So deep and so many layers to this, you know, and I look at our special needs families and, you know, just the, the trauma that, that they experience. How, how does this same thing play out? Like, have you seen it play? Because I know you've, you've worked with other families who have kids with disabilities. How do you see all this kind of play out when you look at the disability community? One of the challenges with the disability community, and that, that's what makes Rising Above such an integral part of um, their journey is support. Mm-hmm. When you look at people and individuals that deal with PTSD or deal with trauma, yeah. the better support system they have around them, mm-hmm. the better they handle and manage that trauma. But unfortunately, our special needs families often feel very isolated yeah. um, because of the care of their child or the behavior issues mm-hmm. of their child. They're not able to plug into a church or maybe their child doesn't have the same peer group or friend group. And so they feel very isolated. And so being able to uh, build a support system around them, let them see that they're not the only ones dealing with things Mm -hmm. like that, letting them, and, and, you know, one of, not that COVID was great, but one of the great things that came out of COVID was the portability of counseling, which is integral now for Mm -hmm. special needs families. They can access counseling from their living room now. It's very accessible. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to load up all their children and their special needs child and go to an office and figure out um, child care. Mm -hmm. They can do it from home during a protected time when maybe their children are asleep or somebody else is watching their child and they can get the counseling that they need. So great. That's awesome. So we have our questions from the moms. They've kind of submitted a few. And the first one is, how do you know if you even need counseling, specifically for grief? Because you were saying earlier that everybody grieves or everyone experiences a trauma, a little t trauma, but they may not develop PTSD, but everyone experiences grief, right? Correct. But at what point do does one need to seek out counseling or therapy after um, or during grieving? Anytime, any individual can benefit from counseling at any stage of life. Yeah. Uh, whether it's a transitional time, a, a student going from middle school to high school, from high school to college. Mm-hmm. But the thing that you look for that somebody really needs to be in counseling other than transitional times or life adjustment times is impairment. Okay. Is is their daily living being impaired by the mm-hmm. symptomology yes. or by the grief mm-hmm. or by the um, dealing with the trauma? Anything like that that's impairing. I don't feel like doing anything. I'm not motivated. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. Or like we talked about the mother with her child. She's so hypervigilant with her child. Mm. She can't separate and go to the store. Somebody else's, she wouldn't leave her child with somebody else. That's impairing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. not normal mm-hmm. and natural. Right. Well, I think that's the reason Becky and I both decided to go to counseling. <laughs> like it was, we were, it was impairing our daily right. life. Like Correct. I couldn't. You know, there were a lot of times I couldn't do certain things that I would normally do. Mm-hmm. Like 
oh, I can't go to the store. I can't go to a restaurant. It's like, ugh. But you don't even realize it. I, you, like you, you, you just get so used to that, that. And I think also a lot of times special needs parents feel like, but I'm supposed to be taking care of my child and I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. like- Hypervigilant. Is, I'm supposed to be hypervigilant, but mm-hmm. it, it really, we have to be able to separate ourselves right. from- our children, mm-hmm. um, and, and it's it is hard to do when you have a child who is mm-hmm. so dependent for many, many, many mm-hmm. years. It's a life or death. You know, do you day think sometimes day. they feel? Um, and this is that maybe a question for a caregiver uh, for you guys. How do you think maybe they feel selfish to take time away from caregiving? to do the work on the caregiver themselves? I'm sure that, I mean, yes. I Have mean, you I'm ever sure. felt that yeah, way? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And and I, I, honestly, for me, and it's like I said in episode one, was mom was, I didn't want to look at it. I was just like, I'm, yeah. I don't want to even go there. Like, it's mm-hmm. too much for me. If I, if I start opening up this box, <laughs> <laughs> we're never going to get done. And, yeah. and I just don't know that I can do it. But my anxiety... Um, was and was getting out of control, and so mm-hmm. that I think that is kind of like a follow up question to that. It's like when we hear the word, you know, we hear anxiety. What exactly is anxiety, and what how would you know? You know, we see that in so many in our families, but what as a as a clinician, what is anxiety? Well, and very often when you see individuals diagnosed with anxiety or diagnosed with depression, they're typically you go and you look at do they have a history of trauma? Mm. Because oftentimes it's not that the depression or anxiety is misdiagnosed. Your underlying issue is actually the trauma. And the anxiety or depression is a symptomology of the trauma. It manifests that way. Um, But anxiety in of itself, as far as a clinical term, um, you look for restlessness, you look for um, worry. You know, one of the one questions I will ask people, you know, do you worry? Yeah, what do you worry about? (laughs) And, everything and, yeah. and when ev- when somebody goes everything yeah. pretty much that's a generalized anxiety yeah. disorder because <laughs> if somebody says well i worry about my grades and i worry mm-hmm. about those are more specific worries yeah. other than globally i just worry about everything yeah. in the world yeah um so excessive worry insomnia um restlessness a lot of motor activity the inability to sit still and I'm not talking huh. like ADHD um, right. inability to sit mm-hmm. still, but constantly moving, mm-hmm. constantly shuffling yeah. um, because there's a lot of pent up um, yeah. motor activity within the body. Yeah. Well, I know the answer to this because I saw it true in my life, but when you start addressing the trauma, what happens with the anxiety? Typically it increases initially. But wow. then, see, I, did, I don't know that I, I'm trying to remember, did I experience, did, okay, Jerry's shaking her head. Yes, you did, <laughs> Becky. Yeah. I don't even remember. But I, I know now, like the anxiety is like, it's night and day different. Oh, yes. But so as, you're del- as you're delving into it, as, as you use the analogy of the box, when mm-hmm. you open the box mm-hmm. and you begin addressing those things, yeah. Obviously, those are things that you have neatly packed uh-huh. away and kind of put off to the side and yep. just moved on with life. Mm-hmm. And so when we open that box, the normal natural response of your body is to go, <gasps> yeah. And, and so it does initially mm-hmm. heighten it. And that's one of the reasons I really enjoy the EMDR modality yeah. so well is it, it while in session, it will heighten it. You can process mm-hmm. through it and then it, it lessens that response. But to say that, you know, as soon as we open that box, all those symptoms are going to go away is unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Because as you work through those things, it's hard work. 
and, and both of you ladies did some really hard work yeah. on the stuff that you were working on. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, and I think I remember you saying this, it kind of is like a domino effect. Mm-hmm. I, how I felt for me was like, once we kind of started addressing certain things, then other things naturally Correct. kind of took care of themselves. And like, I didn't, um, it wasn't that we necessarily had to go do an EMDR treatment for that, but it just kind of like cascades. Thank you. Cascades. Yeah. It cascades. And typically when you do EMDR. Um, and explain EMDR because we, we've been kind of talking sure. about that, but explain what that is as you, as you get into this conversation. Well, EMDR was originally developed in the seventies by Francine Shapiro. Um, actually for war vets coming home. And and she had recognized the bilateral stimulation of the body being able to access memory and access those uh, centers of your brain where fight, flight, or freeze, Mm -hmm. and then to reduce that anxiety and reduce that symptomology. And so since then, it's it's well-studied. It has uh, numerous scholarly articles. It's evidence-based. It's just a great modality, not just now for trauma, but Mm -hmm. for depression, for future templates, things that you worry about, panic symptoms. Um, But it works on the precept of bilateral stimulation, whether it's eye movement, whether it's knee tapping, Mm -hmm. whether it's tappers in your hand. And the bilateral stimulation allows you to bypass that frontal lobe of your brain where you reason through things. And it actually goes to that center of your brain where uh, that fight, flight, or freeze, that Mm -hmm. amygdala and hippocampus. And it reorganizes some of those Mm -hmm. memories um, it is not hypnosis. Right. It does not take your memories away. Right. But what it does is it connects that mm-hmm. emotion from it. Yeah. You can still access it. And I will use the analogy oftentimes with people when, um, if you ask a mom right after birth, um, you know, you want to have another child. Oh, no, not doing that again. <laughs> right. You give her about six weeks out and she mm-hmm. bonds with that baby. That memory is still there mm-hmm. and she can access it but she's kind of tucked it away yeah. because all of these other memories mm-hmm. and all of these other, this bonding has come on yeah. it. So that has been filed away. What happens with trauma is those traumas don't get filed away yeah. and they kind of stay open in your brain. Mm-hmm. And so EMDR reorganizes it, allows you to reprocess it and kind of files it away. Yeah. You can still open the drawer, pull it out, look at it and go, oh, I know how that felt. Mm-hmm. But then when you put it back away, you can disconnect from yeah. it. And you know, what was so interesting for me, and I don't know what your experience, Kim, was. Sure. But, and and you, I know you did EMDR different with Kim, how she, how you did it with her was different than how I needed it done with me. But how many times, Jerry, would we get through the end of the session and I, it would be a really hard memory. And every single time I was like, but Jerry, I saw Jesus was with me. So mm-hmm. like the memory, it opened up for me to actually see how even in the midst of those traumatic things, Jesus was right there with me. And so for me, mm-hmm. that was so healing. So now instead of that, I still have that memory. I still sure. can go there if I choose to, but now instead I see... No, Jesus, I see Jesus there with mm-hmm. me, you know, instead Correct. of that hard, hard thing. And what was your experience like? I think I feel more, um, I kind of relate to what she was saying about filing it away. Mm-hmm. I felt more like, okay, this was out and like all of these papers were spread out on the table uh-huh. and it was causing me anxiety because everything was just so disorganized and, you know, made me feel jumpy and mm-hmm. scattered. And then it, it just kind of helped me to put it into a certain place and then put it up on a shelf and and just help to maybe take some of that edge mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah. I think for yeah. me anyway. Well, and each individual's 
and that's what's so unique and so helpful with EMDR is it's it. I really don't have a lot in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, I help maintain as far as a clinician. I help maintain. I help monitor. Uh, making sure that we don't go too deep. Mm -hmm. But your brain really does a lot of the work and it reorganizes it in a way that is comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. So for instance, for you, that reassurance that Jesus was with you there in the midst of that Mm -hmm. was helpful. And I have worked with other clients where they felt very abandoned as a small child. Um, Maybe there was sexual abuse or things happened and nobody came and rescued them. Mm And so they felt a very much a disconnect from that small child. And so we've done some inner child yeah. work where we go back and we allow them to visualize themselves as the person they are today and take that small child and marriage it up with who they are. And then they become the protector of that small child. Yeah. And there's not that disconnect mm-hmm. where that mm-hmm. fa- small child yeah. now feels abandoned. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. powerful. It is, that really it is. is. It is powerful. Um, So, Jerry, what? here's another question from one of our moms. How do you keep your own trauma or your own anxiety, whether it's diagnosed or not, how do you keep that from impacting the family that's around you, like your children and the people around you? Being your healthiest you Mm. and living your best life. And that may mean that you got to do some of your own work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but if you recognize that your daily life is being impaired or impacted by mm-hmm. your own stuff, yeah. you may need to get that work. Yeah. Um, just like the analogy of the the mom with the small child where she would not let that child go with anybody else. And there was no reason for that not to happen. That child was safe. Mm-hmm. She's impairing that child's relationship maybe with dad or grandparents or significant right. others mm-hmm. in life. Mm-hmm. That's something that she needs to work on within herself yeah. to recognize that her child is safe, mm-hmm. but she's connecting where her child is at back to her own trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we have to have enough insight or if we don't have enough insight to go to somebody that's skilled to be able to go, oh, hey, do you recognize that you're doing this? Mm-hmm. Let's work on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it may mean counseling, yeah. um, you know, having resources around you of not necessarily just accountability, but people that can come alongside you and say, "Hey, yeah. do you recognize you're doing that?" And that's why Kim. it's so. Yeah. And that's <laughs> why it's so, husband. Yeah. so important for rising above ministries for special needs families is they have that within this organization mm-hmm. of you guys lovingly can go, "Hey, do you recognize you're doing this? Mm-hmm. Here's some resources. Here's some things yeah. that we do, or here's some referrals." Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so in a very loving way, having support, yeah. having people that can come alongside, mm-hmm. um, but it really comes down to um, hurt people, hurt, hurt people. people. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely see that play out in my life. I, all the time, like, I felt like, I felt like my anxiety was rubbing off mm-hmm. onto my child mm-hmm. and, or even the, my anxiety was causing me to be on a hair trigger yeah. as far as my anger. And so I would snap more at my kids when I'm like, that's not really who I am. That's not really my normal Mm -hmm. like feeling. Um, So yeah, I mean, goodness, it, whatever you're dealing with is definitely going to impact the people closest to you. It changes the atmosphere of my home. When I'm, when I'm more anxious or I'm more, you know, if I'm, if I'm in a season of grief, you know, there's, as we've talked about, there's, you know, when it comes around to the year anniversary of Jeff's passing, Everybody, everybody in my circle knows yeah. 
it's, that's just kind of a, that's a hard, harder time for me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but it changes, Jay, it impacts John Alex, it impacts everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of times uh, the people in our circle, maybe people who don't deal with trauma, maybe don't, you know, that maybe somebody outside of, of the disability space, um, you know, they may look at us, they may see the trauma that we experience, but they don't, you know, they can't grasp it or get it. So how mm-hmm. do we get people, you know, to have empathy for us and understand, like, how do we explain to people, like, I've just gotten to where now I'll go, like, you know, hey, Kim knows mm-hmm. there's certain things that are going to be triggery for me. We have conversations about sure. it. Yeah. We're close enough that we talk about that and, right. and we know, I know things with her. She knows things with me, but how do we open up to be able to have those conversations? Um, and is it always a good thing to do that? Cause not everybody's, we have to be careful with our story as well. Right. So, well, your story is your story and nobody needs to share your story outside of yourself. And you have to cultivate those relationships around you just as you and you and Kim have mm-hmm. um, of what you're comfortable with each each other knowing about one another. Mm-hmm. But as far as special needs parents, you have to walk in the confidence and the grace of God, knowing that God gave you that special needs mm-hmm. parent, that child. Right. And you don't have to justify anything you do to anybody else. Mm. You need to walk in the confidence that um, God's going to equip you. He's going to bring people alongside of you. And you don't have to apologize for your child misbehaving mm-hmm. in public. Or, mm-hmm. um, And if other people don't understand that, that's really their issue. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of on them. Yeah. 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 It's tough. But if we're talking but it is about, tough. If we're, and, if, and if we're talking about a spouse, I think a lot of times, you know, people come into a relationship and you've got all this baggage and all these things you're bringing with you both. Both parties do, but if you've got unaddressed um, trauma from childhood and you're bringing that in, and sometimes our spouses are not going to understand that because we, we may be triggery or we may yeah. be, you know, and I think that's where, man, just go. It's, uh, there's so much freedom in going. It seems so scary. Like the thought of me contacting you and making an appointment, even though I knew you, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do this, but I knew I had to do it. Right. And so, but there was so much freedom that came once I finally, you know, crossed over to, to, sure. to do that. Well, and, and mm. as, in regard to counseling as well, you know, part of therapy is being comfortable with your therapist. Mm-hmm. And you're not always going to connect with everybody the first time that you meet them. And I always tell people, um, I give them a little bit of my history, you know, when we first meet. Um, and I say, I recognize I am not everybody's cup of tea. I do not do everything the way maybe other counselors do. Um, Give me three sessions. If it doesn't Mm -hmm. work, if it doesn't feel like it's a good fit, I will help you find a counselor that's a better fit for you. And I encourage everybody, um, if you go to counseling and it doesn't, and you just, I'm not saying that you're not making the gains because to make the gains, you've got to do the work Mm -hmm. and the work is hard. But if it doesn't feel like a good fit, Research it. Ask them to help you refer out to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But find somebody that you're comfortable with, that yeah. you feel safe with. Yeah, it's so important to be able to, because sharing your story, it's hard. It, it is. It's hard. But I I know Kim and I both felt extremely and still feel extremely safe with you. Like I knew when I would come in and sit down with you, it's kind of like, okay, you know, <laughs> I can I can share what I need to share. It's sure. not going to go anywhere and mm-hmm. you're going to help me process through. Okay, here's our next question. 
is PTSD inevitable in this life, in this special needs life? Is if because we experience traumas here and there, um, is PTSD or is trauma just an inevitable thing? Or are there things that we could do ahead of these traumatic events that mm-hmm. might be coming our way that could help us maybe process that trauma? Life experiences happen. Sure. That's inevitable. Um, how you process those determine whether it's traumatic. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Does that mean every life experience you have is traumatic? No. Mm-hmm. How you deal with that life experience will decide that. Is PTSD inevitable? No. Just as in the military population, is PT- mm-hmm. everybody that serves in the military, do they develop PTSD? No. But the instances of occurrence is much higher mm. in that population than the general population just because of their experience. And that I would say the same thing with the special needs population. Does everybody that has a special needs child develop PTSD? No. Mm-hmm. Is the occurrence based on the general population higher? Probably. Probably. Can I ask a follow-up too? So let's put um, our faith, let's kind of put faith in this as well. Okay. So a lot of people say, well, I shouldn't need therapy or mm-hmm. I shouldn't have to- I shouldn't be anxious. On. The Bible yeah. tells me not to be anxious. Right. You know? Because I know Jesus and I have you know, the Holy Spirit in my life. How, what would be your response to somebody who's like, I don't need therapy because I have God in my life? Yes and no. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, God is the healer. Right. God is the counselor. Mm-hmm. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. Right. Yes. But God also puts people and equips people to do things in life, to be his hands, feet, and heart. Right. Um, And so not equating myself with a medical doctor, I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. But if we're sick, we go to a medical doctor. And Mm -hmm. if we have a broken bone, we go get it set. Right. Mental health is much the same way. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just not visible. Right. And so to say that, well, I have Jesus, I shouldn't need this. Mm-hmm. We all need support at different times and different right. skill skill levels and different things that other people are equipped with. Mm-hmm. Uh, my skill set is just different than other people's. Right. Um, a counselor is skilled in, in certain ways. That does not mean I am the be all end all. And most people, and when they when people come to me, I will say to them, I don't have the answers mm-hmm. because I don't. The answers are inside of you. My job is to help you find them. Right, right. And, and so oftentimes that's what a counselor does is mm-hmm. it's a reflector of yourself and helps mm-hmm. you to dive deeper and look at things from a different mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah, that's great. Because I think anybody would say if they were wanting to grow or be discipled, they would seek help. They mm-hmm. would look to someone else to disciple them or to grow spiritually so I kind of I kind of think of it similarly that Correct. I think you help me um, to be able to move more easily in life, like mm-hmm. just to uh, even to grow spiritually, um, to to help me file some of these things away, <laughs> right. so that I can you know live and in what God has gifted me to. Mm. Well, and oftentimes what we experience in life, whether there's big T traumas, little T mm-hmm. traumas. And when we live in those moments, they steal the joy of right. the, the sweet spots. Mm-hmm. Right. And even oftentimes, even in childhood stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and when we will resolve things out of childhood, you'll notice 
memories begin coming up of, oh, hey, I remember when I did this with my grandmother. Uh-huh. I hadn't thought about that in years. Well, the reason they hadn't thought about that is they were so avoidant or so ruminating mm-hmm. on the abuse that they didn't mm-hmm. remember the good memories. And yeah. there are s- some They're, good memories uh, even amidst life trauma. Mm-hmm. Right. And so oftentimes that's what happens. And so to say, you know, well, I've got Jesus, so I don't need a, a counselor would be like saying, well, I've got Jesus and I don't need a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, we so. use our resources. God gives us Absolutely. resources mm-hmm. and expects us to use yeah. those and be prudent with those. Yeah. Well, I'm thankful you're using your God-given talents. Yeah, exactly, yes. <laughs> and your spiritual gifts yes. uh, to help others. Yeah. Well, you know, Jerry, because you, you know, you live this life with your son, you went through so many sure. things. And, and, and Kim, you've been through medical things with Ruthie sure. and, and all those things. But, you know, when you have a family member who's impacted by disability, it impacts every member of the family. And so... It, so that the trauma that can go along with that is going to impact every member of the family. Sure. So, you know, you're, you, the individual with special needs, you know, every time they go in and out, you know, in and out of the doctor and they have more hospital stays and, and they're going to go get poked again, you know, to have blood draw, the trauma that gets built up in that child, you know, is so real. But then also with the siblings mm-hmm. who may be, you know, if you have, if you have a, you know, the parents are gone because the child, they're, they're with their child in the hospital or, they never know when the next meltdown is going to come. So how do we help our whole, the whole family? You know, I, I know we're, we're kind of talking more about it from the parent perspective, like right. the parent going to get help. But sometimes our kids um, may need some help as well. And I know you work with children as well. So let's unpack that a little bit about sure. how do we help the entire special needs family get the help that they need? Well, and, and again talking about uh, rising above you your mission and your ministry helps the totality of the family mm-hmm. you do VBSs and different things for the children as mm-hmm. well as um, not just the parents right in regard to counseling sometimes putting the sibling in counseling so the sibling can process some of their emotions whether it be anger or they feel abandoned or you know, and oftentimes you'll hear uh, a sibling of a special needs child and maybe they're fully abled. You know, I wish it were me that were mm. disabled because mm. I would get more attention. Wow. And, and so having somebody outside the family be able to process that with them mm-hmm. in a healthy way mm-hmm. um, and, and just allowing them a safe spot in counseling where it's not about brother or it's not about sister. Mm-hmm. This is my protected hour mm-hmm. or my mm-hmm. protected time where it gets to be all about me. Mm-hmm. But also outside of counseling, outside of rising above is creating that that network of people and that support system around you to not only help you with the special needs children, but that will take your child, mm-hmm. your able child and go play with them on the playground. Right. So it can be all about them. Or they come and watch your special needs child so you can go to the movies mm-hmm. with your able child. Mm-hmm. And, and not that you're making a difference, but you may not be able to do some of yeah. those things with mm-hmm. the family blended together. Yeah. Okay, so here's our next question from um, our group of moms. They want to know, how can you heal from a traumatic event if if it's ongoing? Like if it happens regularly? Like in and out of the hospital, you're in and out right. of the hospital, or your child has meltdowns and you don't know when it's coming. I, I heard one mom talk about she is on edge all the time because mm-hmm. she never knows when the next meltdown is coming. And so, yeah. So how how do we heal from those traumas when 
it's likely they will continue. Correct. Well, one, that's a two-part question. Okay. One part is how do we heal from what's already happened? Okay. And, and so you work on uh, processing through those, whether it be through EMDR or CBT talk therapy, mm-hmm. and you talk about and re- work on reframing those. What were the strengths in those? What did go well? What were the difficulties in them? Mm-hmm. How did you deal with those? But then the second part of that is, how do we deal with it when it's ongoing? And that's where it's important to have a plan. Mm-hmm. And I know that is something that mm-hmm. we worked on, right. uh, Becky and I did, in regard to, okay, this more than likely is going to happen again. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to respond to this? Mm-hmm. What safety mm-hmm. measures can we put mm-hmm. in place? What support system? Well, right. I want to do it all myself. It's my <laughs> responsibility. Oh, that piece, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you had to go there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it can be all your responsibility, but what happens if we take you out of the, if mm. heaven forbid, we Something take you out of the right. mix or you're sick in addition mm-hmm. to that, who's going to do it? Yeah. yeah. So we need to build the capacity of the network mm-hmm. to come around the whole family or come around that special mm-hmm. needs child mm-hmm. that allows other people to function within that. Yeah. And as you build that network, as you build that skill set, as you build those resources, you see the resiliency of that family increase. Mm-hmm. And as that resiliency increases, their confidence increases of, oh, hey, I've been here. I've got that. And in counseling, I use the analogy a lot of anchors. Um, and what I mean by an anchor is, okay, well, we've taken five steps forward. Now it feels like we're back at the beginning mm-hmm. again. Well, no, we're not back at the beginning yeah. Because why are we not back at the beginning? Because we've anchored here mm-hmm. with this yes. healing. Yes. And so, yeah, we may go back to this anchor, but we will remind ourselves, mm-hmm. okay, what did we do here that helped this mm-hmm. to be better? Mm-hmm. And then we repeat that. Yeah. And so it's a progressive system right. that keeps right. us from sliding back. It's so true. I experienced that. You you know, you shared that, honestly, probably in the first or second sure. session. And until I lived it, mm-hmm. I didn't know what, you know, I had something this week that happened that could have, you know, it was something that years well before I started therapy with you sure. would have sent me reeling, but it stepped me back a little bit sure. and I had to regroup and go, okay, wait a minute, you know, but I did, but I was able to process through and it didn't, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Yes. Like you, you, I didn't go all the way back. Mm-hmm. Whereas I took a couple of steps back, sure. but then I came right back, you know, to where, to, to the, the truth, you know, reminding sure. myself of the truth. And I've done this. I've been here. Mm-hmm. I've dealt with this mm-hmm. before. Okay. What did, what did I do before mm-hmm. that made this successful? Yeah. Okay. Let's repeat that. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. Yeah. And, and, you know, one of the things you taught me in therapy was about thought stopping. That mm-hmm. has been like, a, a, just a, honestly, a game changer for sure. me because I used to ruminate and I used to let, you know, these stories just mm-hmm. keep playing out in my mind. And I, I will literally just go stop. Like I'll start thinking about something like, no, stop right now. Mm-hmm. And that has been, it sounds so simple, mm-hmm. but it truthfully, that for me um, was a game changer for me. And so what are a few other things? You know, we, t- we, we talked about EMDR, which you need to do that with a therapist, obviously. A trained therapist. A trained therapist, yes. yes. Um, but thought stopping something that anyone can do oh, today, starting absolutely. today. Are there any other things that would be things that right now today our listeners could go, okay, I could, that's something I could do. Well, thought stopping is using the, the acronym STOP. So you stop, which is your S. You take a step back, which is your T. You observe the situation. Okay, let me step out of it and look at it maybe from a third person standpoint. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to plan how I'm going to respond versus I'm going to react all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. 
because oftentimes when we come to situations, we react based out of past responses. Mm-hmm. And not all of our past responses were adaptive. Mm-hmm. Many of those are maladaptive yeah. based on our history or based on our trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we learn a new skill set. So thought stopping helps with that. Uh, reframing. Um, okay. Now, is this the worst case scenario? <laughs> um, especially if you ha- if you have catastrophic thinking, mm-hmm. which I would assume- <laughs> Catastrophizing, oh, yeah. Right, yeah. with many um, special needs parents, oh, this is the worst, worst, case. That, worst mm-hmm. case scenario. This is, mm-hmm. Okay, is it really the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. We've been here before. Mm-hmm. What did we do last time? Mm-hmm. And so thinking about your thought processing and stopping and reframing. Okay, this isn't the worst case scenario. I'm not gonna catastrophize. These are- what are my options mm-hmm. in this? And so thought stopping, reframing, um, and just really getting in tune with your body, just some somatic work, uh, deep breathing, mm-hmm. four by four breathing, deep mm-hmm. muscle relaxation mm-hmm. to calm down that <gasps> yeah. response yeah, yeah. that you immediately go mm-hmm. into because yep. you go into that, okay, I've got to do this for my child. My child's mm-hmm. going back mm-hmm. in the hospital. Okay, what's the next thing? Yeah. And you begin racing, mm-hmm. um, which is a normal response. It's that fight, flight, yeah. or, or freeze. Well, and you showed me a handout as you came in today. You yes. were sharing that with me. And and I knew fight, flight, and freeze. But I said, I often, you were like, hey, we want to go into flow. And I said, Correct. but a lot of times mine is not fight, flight, or freeze. I go, I call it frantic. But mm-hmm. you had another word and I had not heard this one. Yes. To, so share this, share, um, share about this. Fight, flight, or freeze is in in a, all living creatures are born with fight, flight, or freeze within our body. Um, You know, that's what keeps us alive. If somebody goes out in the woods and they're hunting, um, you know, a bear walks up, our body innately knows what we're supposed Mm -hmm. to do, typically. Yeah. Um, Another one that develops from trauma is fawning. And fawning is, I'm going to try to control the situation. (laughs) I'm going to try to... Please everybody, if I please everybody and I don't make anybody mad, this trauma won't happen again. You lose your you lose your personal identity mm-hmm. because you don't feel safe in it. It's like you're walking around on eggshells. Mm-hmm. You become a perfectionist. Um, you get overwhelmed really easy and you can become codependent in that if if we're in a relate if we were in a relationship mm-hmm. together and it wasn't a healthy or it was a toxic relationship, yep. What do I need to do to make sure that you're not going to go off on me? Uh-huh. And and that's a fawn <laughs> response. <laughs> to say that again, it's a what response? Fawn, F A W N, fawn. How fascinating! Yeah, I had this. This this was new to me. Like we had talked about, you know, the other Fight, term, flight, or yeah, freeze, yeah, but but then this, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, that sounds awfully, awfully familiar. familiar. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and I use as a response to those fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, mm-hmm. developing a skill set of flow. Right. And flow is something you have to learn to mm-hmm. do because life's going to happen. Yeah, mm-hmm. the child's going to go in the hospital. Mm-hmm. The car is going to break down. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen. Okay, how do I develop the skill set to flow through life's adversities? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where we talk about the flow and the resiliency yeah. and developing that. Yeah. And the more resources you can put around families, the mm-hmm. more resources you can build within yourself makes mm-hmm. that much easier. You know, it's so weird. And you can maybe say, you know, what throw in your two cents here. Um, one thing that has helped with my anxiety, you were talking about breathing. That is 100% mm-hmm. what I do. And then second is regular exercise. Yes. I know that sounds nuts. Like, oh, but like when you're sitting there, you're like, oh, exercise sounds awful. But man, getting up and like doing something with mm-hmm. my body is mm-hmm. so 
wonderful. Like I worked out in the yard sure. and it felt like I'd had three therapy sessions. <laughs> like yeah, it yeah. felt so good. Is there, is that part of like, does that help your brain chemistry? Like Absolutely. What, what does that do to Well, to and I mean, if you go to a medical doctor, mm-hmm. they're going to talk to you about your diet and your exercise. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and a lot of times people will come to counseling and they're like, oh, you're going to be one of those counselors that talk to me about diet and exercise. And it's not so much the diet and exercise as it as much as what it does for your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it does for your body, what it does for your mental health, mm-hmm. because you're feeding, you're feeding your whole being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it really is a whole body approach. But when you look at chemicals that your body produces, two chemicals that make us stress are adrenaline and cortisol. Yeah, and so that makes us go, <gasps> and yes. that's what mm-hmm. kicks in when you have a fight, flight, or freeze yeah. response, or you have mm-hmm. a trauma, or somebody's going mm-hmm. to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Things that your body produces that counteract that are serotonin and dopamine. Okay. Serotonin is, uh, is in Paxil, Prozac, and Zoloft. Sure. Of course, those are artificially produced. Um, but exercising. So you can put a child on a trampoline for 10 or 15 minutes and have them jump up and down, mm-hmm. and their body will release eight hours of serotonin. Wow. Because there's receptors That's within so cool. your joints that compress, that release uh-huh. serotonin naturally. Yeah. And so when you do that, and so your body competes for those chemicals. So if I'm stressed and I'm producing a lot of adrenaline and cortisol, I'm naturally producing less serotonin and dopamine. Interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. If I can get my body to produce more dopamine and serotonin, it's going to reduce my adrenaline and my cortisol. Mm-hmm. So exercise is... You know, you yeah. hear about uh, runners and the natural high. Now, if you see me running, you need to look behind me. And yeah, see if there's something yeah. chasing me. You should I also run. I do <laughs> not. I do not run. Agreed. Agreed. But exercising um, naturally reduce uh, releases serotonin and mm-hmm. dopamine, yeah. which then reduce your adrenaline and yeah. your cortisol. And we're not talking an hour of hard exercise. Oh. We're talking like a five minute walk. Yeah. Sure. Could make a difference in, in preventing an anxiety attack yeah. or sure. something like well, that. It just made me think about like, you know, John Alex, mm-hmm. he's in a wheelchair. He, mm-hmm. he does not, sure. you know, he can't walk yeah. on his own, run, jump. But boy, well, he loves, but he loves his bouncy to rock chair. and he loves, yep. so he's, he is, you know, we, our sensory kids, a lot of times sure. that's why they're sensory seeking. Yeah. Is to, to help get that balanced out. And I know that's true for him because he, you know, he wants yeah. that hardcore. It helps regulate. It helps mm-hmm. regulate that body system and, and that vagus nerve and yeah. that uh, ner- autonomic nervous system and parasympathetic yeah. nervous system because it gets out of balance when we have mm-hmm. traumatic events or when we're sick or we right. experience things. And so exercise, eating well, movement, all of those things help regulate that. Mm-hmm. That's so, and and the um, vagus nerve reset. Mm-hmm. Now we we obviously can't do this because sure. this is auditory, but you can go online mm-hmm. and go to YouTube and find how sure. you can do that. And I will say we'll we'll do that. Sometimes I can tell we're yeah. like stressed here at the office, and I'm like, okay, guys, it's time for a reset, and we'll just yeah. as a team stop sure. and do it. And it, it is like I did it honestly. I think it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm there with Jay's caregiver, and I'm like. We're, we're doing one together and it's amazing how it opens you up. And within 30 minutes, if I am heightened mm-hmm. and stressed, it will just calm it right down. And so- I tell you what, why don't we put that in the show we, notes? We can, yes, We'll definitely. link that in the show notes and then okay. yeah. um, we'll get a link from you and yeah. link that there. Well, I could, I mean, we could sit here and talk forever. I, really I know. And we're going to have to have you come back because okay. this is, there's just so many things that we can dig into. And I'm just- I'm so grateful for you and the impact you've had on my story. Um, 
you know, and, and Kim and I talked about in our first, in session one, the episode one that goes along mm-hmm. with this, but about, you know, it. sometimes we need to go back for tune-ups. You know, sure. I've been, it's been a little while since I've sure. been in actually in person, but I know I can text you and go, Jerry, I need, I need a, sure. I need a tune-up. Oh, and, yeah. and I went just a few weeks ago. Yeah. And there's no shame yeah. in that. And there's no shame in getting help. And no. um, so. And, and it's my privilege um, to have the opportunity to walk alongside you, you ladies, as well as all my clients mm-hmm. and to walk with them on the journey. Yeah. Um, I, and again, like I said, I don't have the answers. Um, the answers are often within ourselves, and it's just a matter of having a safe spot, of feeling comfortable mm. with somebody else that can help yeah. us pa- unpack that yeah. and look at that in a different way. And that's what therapy is, is helping you find your own truth. Yeah. Well, I just thank you so much for your time. Again, we're going to have to have you back because there's so many layers to this and so many things to talk about, but we're grateful. Well, I so appreciate you allowing me the opportunity to come and speak with your special needs parents. And if I could leave them with anything of encouragement is that God gave them their child. Yeah. And he is going to equip them to parent their child. Mm. But they've got to allow people to come alongside them and help them support that. Yeah. I heard that a lot from you. When <laughs> <she's>, <laughs> Thank she, you, Jerry, for your wisdom. Yeah. As she is, as she's learned, yeah, Becky, because that is something as a single parent. Sure. That was something I really um, had to had to work on. So uh, we love you. So thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Rising Above with Becky Davidson, created and produced by Rising Above Ministries. To learn more about us and our resources for special needs families, visit risingaboveministries.org or download our free app. If you've enjoyed listening and want to hear more, We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and review. You can always share it to encourage a friend. And remember, joy can be found in every story.